Thanks, Micah. Our children can slide out to Transformation Station. Our workers will meet them in the lobby out front. And if you haven't gotten your child checked in, they can show you in the back there how to get that up and going. Well, my name is John Chasteen, and I serve as one of the pastors here at Redemption Hill Church. And it has been a wonderful five years. Uh, Wasn't last Sunday fun? Both in worship and the jazz brunch. Um, And it it was great celebrating the works of God. And it really is. It's it's what God has done. Tanner, myself, our leadership, we're we're just vessels that that God is working through us. And so we just want to be pointers and make much of him and, and celebrate what he's done. And as we think about celebrating, let me celebrate something with you. Last week, we collected an offering, a gift, to, that's going to go toward doing some work done in the Boys and Girls Club and, and uh, renovating one of their rooms. And so far, we've collected over $2,600. Give yourself a hand. And I've still seen money trickle in over the past week. So if you missed last week, you're like, hey, what is this? We, we're just, we just, we're giving. We want to give back. As we celebrate five years, like, that's, that's really the story that we want to be communicating to our city is that we're a church in the city and for the city. And this is one way that we can do that. And so if you'd, if you'd like to give um, toward this cause, you can, you can give a gift later in the offering and just say, Boys and Girls Club, I'm on your offering envelope. Or you can use PushPay, our mobile um, and online giving option, and you can go select a tab. There's actually a tab on there called Boys and Girls Club, and it'll direct to that cost. So, man, I, I'm grateful to celebrate that. And one of the joys this past week was reading a number of your dreams for RHC over the next five years. On the table, the Jazz Brunch, there were some sheets of paper, and we challenged you to write in. As you dream about the next five years, starting today, you're part of the next step, the next five years. What do you want to dream about? And so I enjoyed reading through those this past week. And, and today I want to share with you one of my dreams as I think about the next five years. I, I dream that Redemption Hill has such an impact on our city that if for some reason we were to die, vanish, or cease to exist, our city would take notice. Did you hear me? I want there to be such an impact on our, on our city that, that our community would weep, that they would care. Like to have a church, not, now let me just step back here for a second. This isn't about Redemption Hill. You guys know my heart here. This is about the fame and glory of God. But if we want to go beyond Sunday mornings in the Chevalier Club, in the Chevalier Theater, We want to see this impact have all kind of changes in our city. And so I've been thinking about if if we're going to be this kind of church that has that kind of impact, then we've got to be a church that pursues greatness. You may be sitting here thinking, what do you mean greatness? Well, here's what I mean by greatness. Greatness rarely goes unnoticed. I mean, just reflect with me on this week. I know we may not have a ton of sports fans in here. Maybe some of you do. But there were some pretty great sports things that happened over the past week. Anybody know who Kobe Bryant is? Some of you do. He's, he's been playing in the NBA for 20 years. He's probably one of the top 20 
best players ever in the NBA, played his final game in LA this past Wednesday night and put up 60 points as a 37-year-old. That's, that's greatness. Your Twitter feed was probably blowing up with, with Kobe um, references Wednesday. But also on Wednesday, anybody know who the Golden State Warriors are? Yeah, we got a few people who know who they are. Another NBA team who won their 73rd game. Now, just check this out. You may not know NBA sports much. There has never been a team ever to win 73 games. This, they're saying that this team, and hey, I know I'm in Boston and I'm a C's guy, um, but even I can recognize greatness. I mean, how many of you like watching the Golden State Warriors? Okay, I see some hands. Why do you want, you, you watch Steph Curry because there's greatness. You watch them because you know something wicked awesome is about to happen when you're watching the Warriors. Tomorrow, who knows what tomorrow is? It's Marathon Monday, right? We're gonna see why is probably the world you're gonna hear about the Boston Marathon, not just because of the tragic things that happened a few years ago, but when somebody runs 26.2 miles with the veracity and tenacity that they do, there's something about greatness. Do we have any runners in here today? Anybody in town? We do. Man, it's great. Thank you for joining us today. That's greatness. I'm hoping to make it down there and cheer you on at mile marker 25.2 at some point tomorrow. Anybody else going to be down there? Anybody else going to be watching greatness tomorrow? We've got a few that may linger down there. I want you to think about this. How can we become a great church that helps our city continue to be a great city? Last week, Tanner, man, I agree, man, we, have a, we live in a great city. I mean, there are a lot of great things about Medford and then greater Boston. And our, our job is just to continue building a greater city as we wait for the city, the greater city that is to come. How do we do that? I want you to turn with me to Luke 22 in your Bibles or, or turn your Bibles on or open your Bibles. Go to Luke 22. If, you, if you've got a Bible that we provide, it's gonna be on page 882. In Luke 22, this is, this is Jesus with his disciples at the Last Supper. Jesus is about to face the cross, and then pretty soon after that, he's going to go and, and he's going to ascend and be with the Father. And so these are the, these are Jesus, this is Jesus spending some time preparing his disciples for his death and his departure. Now, we know this because we've read the rest of the story, but these disciples are gonna be the guys that are gonna be the leaders of the early church. They're gonna be the ones in Acts where the Holy Spirit comes and we see this church start in Jerusalem and then spread to the ends of the earth. They're gonna be setting the fabric of what this early church is gonna be about. Now, listen to what Jesus says about greatness with that in mind, Luke 22, beginning in verse 24. Luke writes, A dispute also rose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you, rather, 
Let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as the one who serves. For who is the greater, one who reclines at table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? But I am among you as the one who serves. Jesus' point is pretty clear and simple. Be great by being small and serving all. Be great by being small and serving all. This is how we will become a great church that goes unnoticed in our city. This is the pathway to greatness. And it's through smallness and service. So, man, pretty simple today. I just want to break down that statement, that main point for you. That's how we're going to spend the rest of our time. And so, I mean, the first truth that I want us to get as we think through this is that we should be great by being small. Go back to the text here with me. Go back to verse 25. What Jesus does here is he contrasts different styles of leadership. He looks at the world and then he tells them, this is the type of leadership that I desire of those who are going to follow me. And as we look at the world, what's he describe here? He says, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. The kings and rulers of the world rule through exercise of lordship, authority, and power. And they are called benefactors. It's meaning, meaning something like a helper of the people. This was a title that was even given to tyrants. But Jesus says, in contrast to leading that way, look at what he says here. Verse 26, he starts with but, a strong contrast. But not so with you. Hey, Jesus, who's the greatest? The disciples are there. They're jockeying for position in the kingdom of God. Like, this is so silly. Like you have the greatest before them, Jesus, and they're asking the greatest who was the greatest. And he looks to the world and he says, it's not going to be like that. Rather, leadership and greatness, according to Jesus, doesn't happen through the exercise of power, but by adopting a certain kind of posture. You see what he says there? He says, rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest. It's interesting. He, says, he doesn't tell them not to pursue greatness. Who's the greatest? Hey, you don't need to worry about being great. He doesn't say that. He says, in your pursuit for greatness, this is what you ought to pursue. Be the smallest. Be the youngest. What, what does he mean there? In a, in a similar passage in Matthew, Jesus uses a, a similar terminology. I've got it on the screen here. I want to read through that. In Matthew 18, verses 1 through 4, Jesus says this. And at that time, the disciples came to him saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humble, humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. 
To be great by being small is to adopt a certain kind of posture and mindset in regards to all of life. And it's there in the last few, that last sentence there in, in Matthew 18.1, whoever humbles himself like this child. My guess when Jesus in Luke 22 is saying, the way you pursue greatness is by becoming the younger, I'm sure he had a child in mind. He's thinking of, of a kid. Now just think about the younger, the kid, as you think about leadership. A kid can't use their age to exercise authority over anybody. A kid is unable to advance their own cause apart from the help of maybe a parent or the resources of someone else. And additionally, the younger would have been given the menial task. They would have been the servant in Jesus' society. Jesus says, you want to be great? Become like that. And Jesus doesn't just tell them how to pursue greatness. He models it for them. Let me show another parallel passage. In Philippians 2, Paul is reflecting on the life of Christ. And he writes this to the church. In Philippians, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each one of you not only look to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even a death on a cross. Hey, Paul says, Here's the mindset you're to have. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others. Hey, and by the way, look to Jesus because he's the picture. He who was in the form of God became nothing. He emptied himself and took the form of a servant. And it says there, he even became, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. Redemption Hill listened if we don't adopt this mindset of humility, you won't cultivate a lifestyle serving others. Rather, you'll think that others and even your city are supposed to serve you. Did you get that? If we don't adopt a mindset of humility, after the likeness of Christ. We will think that others in our cities are meant to serve us rather than us serving them. If we are gonna pursue true greatness as a church, we must repent today of the pride and arrogance that's in our lives. And I'm speaking to myself here. Medford and Greater Boston is not here to serve John Chastain. As I take on the mindset of Jesus Christ, I'm to look at 
my place of work, my house, my neighbors, my city, and say, how can I imitate Jesus? How can I die daily and consider the interest of others even greater than myself? But Jesus doesn't stop with speaking of this mindset of smallness as we pursue greatness. He continues on. And he provides clarity by using different terms. Go back to your word there in verse 26. He says, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as the one who serves. For who is the greater? One who reclines at table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? But I am among you as one who serves. True greatness and leadership in the church and in our city is not displayed through the exercise of power, but through service. Not by taking control, but by giving and sharing. Do you see this? Leadership of the world is to use power to take. Servanthood of Christ is to humble and submit and share and give, not once, not twice. I mean, just reflect on the life of Christ. Was he just a servant, a part of his life? No. This would describe who he was. He was a servant. He humbled himself and took the form of a servant. His even, even incarnation God becoming man is a display of servanthood and humility. But Jesus continues here. He says, and the leader among you is one who serves. And then he asks a few questions. He says, who's the greatest? You're at a dinner. And which one of these is the greatest? The one who is reclining at the table or the one who is serving at the table And he responds, he says, from the world's point of view, you would say the one who's greater is the one who's reclining. And then Jesus gives us another but. But I am among you as the one who serves. Let me jog your memory and set the stage. What we don't find here, we're going to find in a few weeks when we pick up our study in the Gospel of John. But you know what John 13 describes for us? What happens at this Last Supper is Jesus, he gets down on his knees and he washes the feet of his disciples. This conversation that we have recorded for us in Luke is is right after Jesus had washed all their feet, a display of great humility. And he's telling them, you want to be greatness? And he's just displayed greatness through serving them, imitate me. I am among you, not as one who is domineering and taking authority, but I'm among you as one who serves. So we are to reflect back and look at his life and how he served. But also, as we think of this statement, Jesus says, I am among you as one who serves. We look forward. In a similar passage in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, Jesus says this, for even the son of man, came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. 
As Jesus is talking to his disciples at the Lord's, at the Last Supper, he's about to head and go to the cross and give his life as a ransom for those who are far from him, for enemies. He's not given his life for friends. He's given his life for enemies. You and me. He said, I came not to be served, but to serve. And the point of Jesus further probing here and asking this question, who's the greatest at the table, is he's wanting his disciples to be confronted with a decision. And this same decision confronts you and I today. And it's this. If Jesus, the greatest, becomes the least, the small, the servant, well then what should his followers do? Isn't it pretty clear? If we're gonna imitate Christ and grow to maturity in Christ and be like Jesus above all things that ought to describe us as individuals and as a church, it ought to be known that we are people who serve. So let me ask you a few questions. Do you disadvantage your community to advantage yourself? Or do you disadvantage yourself to advantage your community? You see, when we get the gospel, the gospel crushes the selfishness that is so pervasive that thinks the city is there to be used by me. I'm gonna use the city to serve me, to advantage me, to advantage my family, to advantage my career, to advantage fill in the blank. But the gospel crushes that to see that the city's not there to advantage me, but I'm in the city to advantage it. And so that we as a church really shouldn't be about being a great church. We should be about being a great church and making a great city. If we are a great church and have no impact in our city, we are not a great church. Because true greatness is by being small and serving all. If we're going to be a great church for our city, we must be a church that sacrificially serves our city. So here's what I want to do. I'm just going to get really practical as we wrap up our time today. Because you're probably asking, okay, I've got this. Be great by being small and serving all. What does that practically look like? Like, how, how do we take this? Because here's the you can get a lot of good knowledge here on Sunday mornings, but you know where real transformation takes place? Out there. And if you take this message and say, okay, I'm gonna leave today with a mindset of humility and I wanna go serve, watch out. Because when you start coming and say, okay, God, I want to serve my city, and you want to start getting involved in service and ministry, God is going to transform your life. So what does this practically look like? I'm just going to go through a series of questions. The first one is this, who do we serve? You may be asking that. Okay, we're supposed to take on this mindset of serving. Who do we serve? And so I would say this, be great by being small and serving all, starting with and especially serving the least of all. And I get that by looking at Jesus. When Jesus began his ministry in Luke, if we were to go back to Luke 4, 
This is how he kicks off his ministry. He quotes Isaiah, and after quoting, he says, this has been fulfilled. This is what he says. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Get this, the gospel is for everybody. And when I say gospel, it is the good news of the life, death, resurrection of Jesus. The bad news is that God created us and we've rebelled and because of our rebellion, we're all sinners and separated from God. Not only are we all sinners and separated from God, but the reason we all experience brokenness, poverty, blindness, you name it, the tragedies in this world are a result of sin. Sin spread like a virus and it affects every square inch of the world we live in. The reason Jesus came was to reverse the effects of the fall. So when I say the gospel is for all, you may not be poor today and you may not be blind today, but you still need Jesus. But the, the, the purpose of the gospel is especially seen when we look and see how it's applied to those who are suffering. That's why Jesus says, I've come for the poor, for the oppressed, for the captives, because those are particularly, we see, are in great need of healing. Do you realize that over one-third of Jesus' earthly ministry was spent with people who were suffering, healing the sick? defending the weak, caring for those who are most undesirable. He eats and drinks with sinners and tax collectors. The oppressed, the despised, the marginalized, the needy, the poor, widows, orphans, they may seem to be excluded from the blessings of this world, but they are not excluded from the blessings of the kingdom of God. For the kingdom is for such people as this. We should first look to serve the least of all because that's who Jesus prioritized. And it most displays the gospel. If we were to go back in Luke, and I know I'm covering a little bit in Luke. I'm trying to do my best to provide an overview for you for the life of Christ. But in Luke, Jesus gives a parable of the great banquet and inviting to the great banquet. And do you remember who he said to invite? I've got it for you here on the screen. He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors. Why? Lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. When we serve the least of all, it most displays the gospel because they have nothing that we can benefit from. You guys see that? Now, do you know what the selfishness in us does? We think of serving and we think of who can I go serve that'll actually serve me. I want to go serve that person that's going to, in the end, be a blessing to me. And so we even pervert serving to make it about us and not about them. 
So who should we serve? I'm just I'm going to give you three categories. This may not be the best way to do it, um, but I think it's one way of thinking through who we should serve. The first one, I would say this, we should serve neglected communities. There are probably entire communities and population, population segments that have been ignored and marginalized. For sake of time, I, I can't unpack all of this today. It could be, we could take each of these for another sermon. Let, take these categories and then just leave today and go pray. God, would you show me where in our city, city there are neglected communities? Second, serve ne- neglected neighbors. All of our communities are filled with hurting people, many of which I just listed, poor, needy, blind, oppressed, marginalized, widows, orphans, immigrants. One of the ways that we've served over the past five years, um, by God's grace, we were connected with the Boys and Girls Club. It's one of the first places we served. And we just went there and said, hey, we're, we're about to start this new church and we want to be a church that's in the city and for the city and how can we serve you? And so we've all, a lot of our friends have come up here from our partnering churches and a lot of times we're serving in the Boys and Girls Club. We're, we've early on put on some programming in the Boys and Girls Club. We also went to the Medford Housing Authority and, and worked with Lisa Tanella and just said, hey, Lisa, and this is what we want to be about. Where can we serve? And so we've had the opportunity, Thomas Byrne does movies with seniors on Tuesday afternoons over at Salton Stall across from the Hyatt. We've randomly put on ESL classes. Some of our small groups have owned that and taken the lead with the Medford Housing Authority. We've done clothing and food drives. Those are small pictures of us serving as a church in some of these neglected neighbors, but let me just give you a little side note here. As we start to pray, and we pray for more opportunities like this, we need to make sure that we don't view neglected neighbors as a project because they're people. And they don't want to be seen as a project. They don't, oh, that's Redemption Hill Church's project. No. That, that's, not, that's not what I want to be viewed at, and that's not what they want to be viewed at. As we go and serve others, we're serving real people with real souls, with real challenges. And we want to, they want to be a friend. They want to be a community. They don't want to be a project. So I don't have all the details of what that looks like, but just pray. Hey, God, as I serve, help me to, to serve people and not treat them as projects. We serve neglected communities, neglected neighbors, and then neglected children. Jeff Christofferson in in his book, Kingdom First, says this, Children are often collateral casualties, innocently trapped in a web of pain and neglect. And I would say this, if we really want to get into the fabric and serving in our city, then, then we ought to start with the children. That's why the Boys and Girls Club has been a great opportunity for us to get in and serve and engage with kids. But let me just give you some other ideas to dream about. Pregnancy care. Adoption. Tutoring and mentoring. If you leave today and you're like, man, I would really love to tutor and mentor a kid, I guarantee you there's a volunteer application process at the Boys and Girls Club that you can get in and say, hey, 
I can do once a, once a week and for this amount of hours and to say, yes, I'll take you. I would love if, if Redemption Hill Church was known as we've got people praying about how we can mentor and tutor children. And, and go, go read the research on how important this is for a kid even before the third grade. Like the early on, if we can get involved in their lives, if they're not getting it from home, how we can change the cycle of what they've been going through. Another one, foster care. I'll just share a brief story. Many of you know that my wife and I have been going through emergency foster care training, MAP training. We've got one more class and we'll be finished. We don't know a lot of the logistics on what this looks like, but we feel compelled by the gospel that this is a, a way to serve in our city. You may remember a lady by Michelle. She came with us in November and we invited them to come share in our church and they set a table out front. Michelle's our social worker. She's been in my home a couple of times now. And this past week she was in my home. Uh, and I'm saying, Michelle, what, what, is, what would it take for, for you to have all of the needs placed for kids in our city? I just wanted a dream with her. Here, here's why it's challenging, because people do foster care, and then they end up adopting. And when you adopt a kid, then it's like, well, she, she loses a, that's great for a kid, but she loses a foster care parent. And so she says it's a continual cycle as we match parents with kids of getting people in. We had a class a couple weeks ago, and she says, I've got three infants right now that I need to place, but I don't have any homes to put them in. I mean, how cool would it be that if Redemption Hill Church, Michelle, that we become such a display of the gospel to her that we're the first on her list to call. Hey, John, do you have anybody in your church that you can send me? Because we've got kids that we need to place. Like, that's a church in the city for the city. That's tangible. And you know what? It takes sacrifice. That's not easy. You're telling me that, I'm telling you that Lee and I are about to take on a fifth kid, and we've got a four, three, really three-bedroom home, and hey, it's not like we're just, we've got a ton of margin, but we see the need is there, and God's going to provide. And is it going to mean sacrificing some sleep or some late nights or readjusting our schedule? Yes, but isn't that what Jesus calls us to do? To disadvantage ourselves for the advantage of the community. The call to pursue Christ and follow him isn't a call to American comfortable Christianity. It is a call to come and die. And when our church gets that, and I'm not saying we don't get it, I'm seeing, man, some examples of this. Like we had, a, we had a lady from our church join us this past Wednesday night at our MAP training and she's exploring how does she care for teenage girls who have aged out of the foster care system, were never adopted, and now they're out on the streets. I love that. And I want to see more of it. And you know what? You may say, man, I don't know how you do this. This is the power of the gospel at work. When we come and we die and say, Holy Spirit, God, you have your way. This is, this is what he's going to be moving our church to do. And I want to tell Michelle, I'm, I'm praying for Michelle. And, and she hasn't asked me, but hey, like, why does your church do this? And like, I want to just tell you, hey, Michelle, it's not really about me. I have a great Savior that laid down his life. And he said, come follow me. And I just want to, I'm one of his ambassadors. That, man, it's him working through me. And I want to point to, hey, we're a part of foster care now, but there's a coming kingdom one day. Jesus is going to return, and there will be no orphan. 
because the heavenly Father and his Son will dwell with his people and his Spirit forever. I'm picturing forth that city through what I'm doing now. How do we serve? I think it's pretty clear. If, if, if you leave today and you're like, I really don't know who to serve, will you just pray this prayer? Hey, God, would you give me fresh eyes to see who's neglected in my city and go serve? I guarantee you God will reveal these people to you. How do we serve? I've got to move on quickly. Tim Keller provides three frameworks in one of his books on this, and he says we serve through relief, development, and reform. I don't have a ton of time here, but for the most part, probably the church is going to be involved in the first one, relief. This is giving direct aid to meet physical, material, and social needs. Temporary shelters, food and clothing services, medical crisis, medical services, crisis counseling. We want to meet an initial, hey, let's provide initial relief. But that's not it. As we think about serving in our city, we've got to have a bigger picture. And it's a bigger picture that thinks of development. Bringing a person or community to self-sufficiency. I want to meet an initial need, but I don't want to have to keep meeting that need. I want to work with them so that they develop, so that they can meet their own needs through the services that, and, and through their lifestyle, through getting a job or, or whatever. And so even as we talk about foster care, it's not just about the kids. This past week, we heard a story. It's about reunification. How can I serve a mom who's addicted to heroin? And, and I'm serving her by giving her, helping with her kid so that she can go get the help she can need and get reunited with her kid. I'm not just serving a kid. I'm serving that lady who's addicted to heroin. And so tonight's overcoming addictions, Tanner prayed for, the way that we're going to serve overcoming addictions in our city is to be a part of foster care so that these women can go and these men can go get the help that they need. Sorry, I get a little passionate here. But it's all intertwined. It's like all interconnected here. You guys see me? Development. And then the third one is reform. Seeking to change the social conditions and structures that aggravate and cause the dependency. Keller says this, primarily a church is going to be involved in relief and maybe to some extent development, but majority of development and reform is going to be happening through nonprofits or government agencies. So how do we come and partner with DCF? Like we don't create our own foster care system. The DCF has, I'm coming, I want to partner with them and I'm going to work through them. How do we partner with the Boys and Girls Club, with the Medford Housing Authority? These are already nonprofits that are doing great things. When do we serve? I want to give you th three frameworks, one framework, three areas to think through serving individually, communally, and corporately individually. You may be thinking right now, hey, John, I am overwhelmed with guilt. And I just want you to hear me. That is not my goal today. My goal is I'm not serving because I feel guilty. I'm serving because I have a great Savior. Our motivation to serve is Jesus. He laid down his life. And so just know this, I don't, I don't pursue foster care as another check mark. Yep, I've earned some more favor with God. Because you know what the gospel is? The gospel is this. You can never earn enough favor with God. The only way you get favor with God is to believe and trust in Jesus. So when I'm driving down the road and I see my buddy roll down his window and drop the change into the homeless guy's bucket over here at Elwife, I'm just praying, I hope he's not doing that and thinking that he's going to earn favor with God. It's only through Jesus. He is the only perfect and righteous one. 
So we should not be motivated by guilt. It ought to be love and it ought to be compassion. But know this, as as you think through serving, you've got to serve within your God-given roles and capacity. And that takes wisdom. I can't answer that for you. But if you're serving in the city and neglecting your home, you're not great, you're a failure. So your God-given roles, I think of, I'm going to serve my family, I'm going to serve in my church, and I'm not even talking about Sundays here, but I'm serving in my church, and I'm serving in my community. Like, those are God-given roles that I'm thinking through, and I need wisdom to pray through that in my capacity. There are different seasons of life we go through where we can give greater service, and others are just like, man, I don't have the margin right now. But I want to ask you, what is your heart inclined to? Because as we seek to follow Jesus, we ought to have a heart inclined to sacrificial service. And as we think individually, I would just challenge you to think through, for the most part, intersection and not addition. How can you intersect with what you're already doing to serve people? Oftentimes, I would say we don't build enough margin in our lives to serve people. I'm too busy going from point X to point B to C to D that when God presents an opportunity to serve, I haven't built any margin. But what if you, wait, you started waking up and saying, you know what? Yeah, it only takes me 10 minutes to get from here to there, but I'm going to build 15. And I'm going to pray for the extra five that God would give me an opportunity to serve somebody. You guys follow me there? So like, we've got to build some margin and we've just got to say, okay, God, here's my life. You use me. Pray continually and looking for opportunities to serve. And then as we think individually, also think this. The church cannot do everything. My goal today is not to go stand at the back and take a list of everything, all the ideas you have about serving. Because you know what? Tanner, myself, and John, we can't accomplish it all. But what we can accomplish is to fan the flame and say, that's a great idea. Why don't you go do it? I love hearing about people serving in our city and the pastors had nothing to do with it. So get this, consider this your permission slip to go serve in our city. You don't need to come and ask me. Jesus has already called you and told you, be great by being small and serving all. Go do it. Communally, I love it when I hear of small groups that are serving. And again, the pastors had nothing to do about it. Hey, we're serving at the Boys and Girls Club. Hey, we're serving at Willisaf. Hey, we're going down to Lapri and we're putting on a mitten drive and we're gonna wait mittens and some hot chocolate. That, I love it. Pray with your small group. How can we serve in our city? And then third, corporately. You'll notice on the back of your worship guide at the bottom, there's some serve opportunities. And I can't unpack all of these right now, but these are the upcoming serve opportunities that we have as a church. Our goal is to, is to scatter these across our calendar. And so maybe this is a way to serve. You say, I want to go to the Medford Square cleanup on April 30th. And, and, and if, the, if any of these interest you today, take that Connect card and write on the back, I want to serve with a team, and then just write, this is what I'm interested in. And you know what, we'll follow up and we'll get you some more information and get you connected up there. But he, this is what we've got on the calendar, Serve Medford Sunday. We've got a Sunday in May that we're going to be kicked out of the theater. There's an event already in here. And you know what? We're going to go serve in our city. And you know what? I want you to see is not as a Sunday to check off from church, but to say that's as important as what we're doing in here. June 11th, Boys and Girls Club, Men's Work Day. Circle the Square, an event that goes on the third Thursdays in the summer. Soccer nights. Serve Medford Week. Community fun night. 
Why do we serve? I'm just going to wrap up. We serve because it's a powerful testimony to the validity of the gospel. It pictures forth the coming kingdom and a greater city to come. It's a tangible way to show to the city Jesus has really changed our life. Jeff Christofferson in Kingdom First says this, the powerful punch of the gospel message validated by a community whose priorities are transformed by that same gospel as an irresistible gravitational pull on a skeptical world. How do you plant a church in Medford where probably the majority of the people are pretty skeptical of the church, whether it's through the Catholic church scandals or whatever? Here's our approach. We will love you longer than you can distrust us. We will love and serve you longer than you can distrust us. We will outserve, we will outlove your distrust of us. We don't serve with ulterior motives as if we're gonna get something from you. And we don't serve whether people believe or not. Whether people actually believe what we believe about Jesus, we're gonna serve. That is how we knock down the walls of skepticism in our city and build trust. It's through serving. People in our city probably won't care a lick about what we have to say until they really see a tangible change in our life, in our city, for the good of the city. Because of this, I would just challenge you as you look at serving, invite somebody who's not necessarily a follower of Jesus to serve with you. Because it's a great opportunity for them to see the power of the gospel at work in your life. And you can explain to them your motives. Hey, I don't have ulterior motives here. Jesus is changing me and he's called me to serve people and this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. But finally, as we serve, it results in giving influence, trust, and relational capital from those in the city. There are two approaches to the city we could pursue. Tim Keller says this, if Christians seek power and influence, they will arouse fear and hostility. If instead they pursue love and seek to serve, they will be granted a great deal of influence by their neighbors, a free gift given to trusted and trustworthy people. We don't pursue power through power. And this is not the main reason we do this. This is a side product, is that as we serve, we build trust. And it's a given trust because we've proven trustworthy. I pray as I dream of the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years that God will raise up within us people who pursue greatness by being small and serving all. And if we do this, true greatness rarely goes unnoticed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I know we've heard some just challenging word from Christ today. Really simple and yet hard because we're pretty selfish people. I'm selfish with my time, with my resources, often. And I need your spirit to crush that selfishness and produce service. So guys, pray you would give us a clear image and picture of the, of the humility of Christ 
that we would leave today not big but small, becoming the younger and ready to serve all. God, give